You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. All right, Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons, joins us now. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. What's going on, fellas? Well, How are you today? We're doing great. Let's start right with uh, with Teddy Bridgewater. He won the job. Do you do you like the choice? Yes, yes. I mean, I... <clears throat> I've said this a couple of times. I, I think that Denver's roster is very good. I think that the defense has a chance to be one of the better defenses in the league. Um, I think that the offense has to complement that. You know, I think one of the things that, that you have to do as a coach is that you have to identify your strengths. And and that's that's vital in order for you to find success. And, you know, you, you got to... I don't think teams succeed because they have no weaknesses. Now, maybe great teams, okay, but but I don't know if any team in the NFL is great. And because of the parity in the league, you know, and, and I think you guys would agree with this, I, there are no teams out there because of the salary cap that have no weaknesses. But I think teams do succeed when they identify their strengths and then they, they build game plans and habits and identities around those strengths. And I think that Denver understands that their strength is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. I was, um, I think that there's, I think if I'm not mistaken, they have the most money in the league tied up in their secondary as a percentage of their salary cap. So you got to play to that. Well, why am I talking about all that? Well, because in, in my estimation, you've got one guy that's, that's kind of a safe, operator of the offense is it sexy no are the fans going to be like oh my gosh i love it it's like pfm all over again no obviously i I don't think that that's the case but you've got to play to the strengths of your team and drew i don't think does that while he might be a little bit more flashy he's more inconsistent i think that he's going to turn the football over um to, to a higher degree which is why Teddy Bridgewater is the choice. So as much as it is a a battle just between those two, I also think it's a battle between those two within the overarching uh, framework of the team, which I think fits Teddy a little bit more. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I think the the great NFL coaches I talk to not only maximize their strengths, they mitigate the weaknesses, you know, and they won't attack somebody if it exposes one of their weaknesses. They'll find something else to do. And those guys, to me, really understand the game in totality, what you're talking about, complementary football between, hey, let's lean on our defense and make sure we don't screw it up on the offensive side of the ball. Now, there have been a lot of people here in Denver that look at, you know, this draft is a big mistake. They took a great football player in Pat Sertan, but they said, hey, we need a quarterback. Let me ask you about what's going on in New England. Did you see this kind of meteoric rise for a guy like Mac Jones? Well, as as you know, and we talk about a lot, I think that the, the most important part um, about finding success in a first-round draft pick at quarterback is the fit, <laughs> you know? And, and I think it's the one thing that we maybe, maybe gloss over the most, and we just look at, well, what's his talent and this and that. But the fit has to be there. And, and when Mac Jones went to the New England Patriots, I thought that that was the best fit possible. You know, there was talk and speculation that maybe John Lynch 
and Kyle Shanahan were going to look at Mac Jones, and I think that they were intrigued with him. There's no doubt. But of all the talented guys, even Trevor Lawrence, who I think is is just exceptional, and, and a lot of these guys are exceptional, you're seeing that play out in the preseason. Even then, nobody played the game faster from a mental standpoint than Mac Jones, right? Like he was operating on a little bit of a different level when it came to, to timing and efficiency and accuracy, and I, and I think that that's what gravitates towards a Bill Belichick style of football team. And and so I'm not all that surprised. And I do know one thing. The dude is ultra competitive and he's not afraid of a challenge. Why else would you go to Alabama as Mac Jones, knowing that you're just going to have a parade of five-star, unbelievable recruits in front of you? And it's just like, listen, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to bide my time. And then when I get my chance, I'm going to put up one of the great greatest seasons in the history of college football. So, I mean, he's a bit understated and – He's very confident, and so I'm not all that surprised, and I do think that that's one of the best fits in the draft uh, from last year. But why is it only a fit in New England? Because these coaches move around, these hotshot coordinators get opportunities based on their systems and the idea that, hey, hire me and I'll bring my system to to town and everyone's going to love it. Uh, you, you can't tell me that the, the New England system is so, so outside uh, everything else that we see in the NFL that it can't be copied elsewhere, and quarterbacks like Mac Jones couldn't thrive many other places other than just New England. It's a great question and a, and a, a very good point, Mike. But the, I don't think systems are all that different. There are some guys that can be more creative with the way they use personnel the way that they attack matchups, I think that's where the brilliance of an offensive mind comes in because everyone's running similar concepts, right? There's no secrets out there. Everyone can see it on film. No one turns on the film and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is groundbreaking new stuff that we're seeing. We don't see new stuff. I think when it comes to great offensive minds, you think of things like like uh, timing of play calling, uh, the ability to manipulate your own system in order to gain the most advantageous matchup that you possibly can. And the guys that do that more consistently than others are considered the better, better offensive coaches. Now, having said that, here's what is different, is the standard by which you hold your players accountable. Okay? And, and I believe, while never having actually like played for those guys, when I talk with guys that have played in New England – the standard that is held within the coaching staff in terms of the detail that you have to play with is higher than other places. See, there's an old adage that as a coach at any level, and if you're a coach at any level, and I'm not talking about peewee, so, you know, just relax if you're sitting in, in your car right now and you're a peewee coach and you're like, oh, my gosh, he's talking to me. I'm not talking to you. If you're a coach like high school and college and and the other levels, it it, it absolutely was. Just relax, take it easy, take a sip of coffee, and just let the kids have fun. Now, if you're at a little bit of a higher level, here's the thing. As a coach, what you see on the film, you are either coaching or allowing, period. Okay, That's kind of like the buck stops with you adage. Let me repeat that. As a coach, what you see on the film, you are either coaching or allowing. And I, it goes to what I'm talking about, about the standard of detail that is held within that organization. 
I believe that the standard by which they hold their players in terms of the detail that they play with is higher than other organizations. So when you go there, Mike, the difference isn't just like, is the system best for me? But if I'm a highly detailed player, I'm going to thrive under that coaching staff versus a coaching staff that's more loose that maybe wants more splash. Okay, so it's, to me, I think that it has to go in, in, and it goes towards the direction of expectation uh, in the coaching staff rather than the actual system of the coaching staff. Why? Why is it like? Why is it that? And, and I've said this forever about the Broncos in general. Is and I, this is one of my big takes on why Teddy should be there. Like Teddy can teach guys how to actually prepare like a professional. And I've always looked at the Broncos from a cultural standpoint here in the last five years. And I've said, you know, as I travel around the National Football League and watch practices and talk to players and talk to coaches, is they think they're working hard. They think they're preparing hard. They think they're doing it the right way. But I'm telling you, go other places and you're like, wow, there's a, there's a large gap. Why is there such a large gap? Is it, is it just the head coach? Is it the organization? What, in your opinion, from a cultural standpoint, is missing from some organizations? Oh boy, that's, that's a, that's a great, you guys are coming with some great questions. Um, can I back up for a second yeah. before I talk about like what's missing? Cause when, when you're asking that question, I immediately thought to myself, if you're a person and this goes in every, in everything, my industry, your industry, um, guys like, well, again, Mark, what we do, mm-hmm. um, if you're in the business world, anything. Okay. Now I am talking to you if you're a peewee coach. So everybody in your cars, wherever you're at, your cubicle, if you're just getting up, you're eh, you're okay, but you need to hear this probably more than anybody else. <laughs> um, if you think you work hard and are never told that you're a hard worker, then you're not a hard worker. That has to be something that is is a label put on you from the outside. Those that tell you they work hard or think they work hard generally don't. And those that are are observed from the outside and people say, wow, that person is different. They hold a different standard. Now, I think that the difference is, uh, Stink, I think the, the difference is when I'm around football players, there are guys that love the game so much that they're like a sponge, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have this drive to be better. And it's never about a minimum. It's never about showing others how hard they work or how long they're in the room or, or what it, they, they just have, have a drive. Here's a quick story. Okay. So I, um, my neighbor is a guy who played in, in the NFL for seven years. He's a, he was a tight end, uh, primarily for the Browns. His name was Evan Moore, played at Stanford. Evan's an amazing guy. They've become one of our best friends. Well, Evan also played for the Packers um, for one year early in his career. And it was one of the years that Charles Woodson first signed with Green Bay. And he said, you know, Charles was on one of those deals where it's like, you know, he's towards, you know, he had played a while, if, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, if he was banged up a little bit, you know, they wouldn't, Make, make him practice. And Evan at first thought like, man, this is kind of weird. You know, I thought Charles would be like one of the harder workers or this and that. And then he was like, and then I realized that 
it wasn't necessarily about what Charles was doing, running around in some individual drill that wasn't going to matter on Sunday. Every time he saw Charles Woodson in the building, whether they were watching film, whether they were eating, whatever he was doing, walking into a team meeting, he had his iPad and he was watching film the entire time. Okay. And, and, and I, I guess I tell that story because I think Charles had, had an, an overriding spirit to be as prepared as he possibly could. Okay. And I think that there are guys out there that are like that. If I knew exactly why some were like that and why others weren't or what the key magic was, you know, I wouldn't be on with you guys. Cause I, you know, I, I would be doing something else that was more impactful in the world. That's why it was such a good question. I, I don't know, Mark. I think it's an eight. I think some people just are more professional than others. Yeah, I think maybe maybe it boils down to. I'm just thinking out loud here, rambling mm-hmm. on. Maybe it boils down to, you know, there are there are those that love football and those love being football players, and I think there's a vast difference between the two. Vizzy with Joe Clatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. Which of the two? Justin Fields or Mac Jones, do you think has the potential to make George Payton look bad? Oh, man. Well, judging by their organizations and their offense and their their, their current situation, I would say Mac Jones. I think Justin is more talented than Mac Jones, but I think that the Patriots are in a much better place than the Bears. I think both of them could have some success. But I think that, you know, I think it's going to be really tough for Justin Fields with, with Nagy because I think Nagy is going to force him onto the field earlier than he should be forced onto the field as a way to try to save his own butt. Whereas Belichick's, you know, I mean, he's going to try to put Mac in the best possible situation to succeed, period, because he's totally solidified in New Orleans. And I think, or excuse me, New England. And I think that they, have a little bit of a better roster than than Chicago uh, potentially. So I would say Mac Jones, but both of them have the ability to to have everybody in Denver, you know, wish that they were in a Bronco uniform. Yeah, I think both guys are are, are pretty talented. It'll be interesting to see exactly kind of that progression and how they go about that. When you're developing a young quarterback, Joel, and, and you're, and, and you're letting that guy play. You know, there's this conversation going on right here nationally. What's best to let the guy play or to let the guy sit and kind of learn? How do you go about that? What are the key factors in your mind about the transition from the, the college game to the NFL game for a quarterback to have success? I think a lot of it is, is what, what offensive system, how they cut their teeth at the college level. There are guys that show up in the NFL and they're much more prepared to play right away just because of the systems that they ran in college. Um, there's, there's such a gap. Like in the NFL, everyone runs something similar, you know, which I was alluding to, um, prior. And in college though, Mark, there's a, there is a chasm between offensive systems. There are some that are so simple that they're basically a glorified high school offense. You know, the, the quarterback doesn't have many reads. He doesn't have to learn much language. He doesn't have to verbalize that language in, in a huddle. Um, there, you know, audibles are held on the sideline and not out on the field. There's only one or two protections. And then there are some offenses in college football that are just 
very in-depth. You know, that's why I think, like, Mac Jones, uh, Justin Fields, like, these guys were in offenses that are going to lend themselves toward, towards having success. I think Trey Lance is similar to that. Um, I'm not sure about Trevor Lawrence, but I think he's bright enough and, and good enough where he can overcome the, the gap there because Clemson's offense is not as sophisticated as, like, Ryan Day's or Steve Sarkeesian's um, from, from the college level. Uh, so it's a, it's a big gap. I think that's that's one of the biggest things is that the, mentally it's it's such a difficult thing to go in and be prepared enough to not have to think about the offense because one of the things that you're trying to do as a quarterback and really any player to play as fast as you possibly can the offense just has to be an extension of you. You can't be thinking of the offense. It can't be something that you're trying to go out there and like think through and operate through. It has to be an extension of you, like all of us driving a car, right? We put on blinkers without thinking about it. You hit the, the brake without consciously thinking about it. You have to be able to operate an offense without consciously thinking about it. It has to be an extension of yourself so you can just go out and react to play your fastest. Well, in order to do that, you have to have cut your teeth at least enough, a requisite level to understand an offensive system at a depth in which that you can just go out and react. So I think that's the biggest difference in guys that can go into the NFL right away, not saying anything for the fit and the roster around you. Listen, I think it behooves young quarterbacks a great deal to go to a place where the whole roster is ready to play. I think Denver would have been a really good place for a rookie quarterback this year because they've got a good defense. Um, they've got some things and pieces, a great wide receiver core. You see some of these, like Trevor Lawrence may struggle, guys, and part of the reason is because the Jags are just really bad. I don't think Darnold had any uh, ability to succeed with the Jets because the Jets were so bad. Look at the uh, revolving door with Cleveland for as many years as they, they had until now Baker has kind of settled that down. Why? Because their roster got much better. So first is just the, the mental aspect of what system you're coming from and what that allows you to do and how quickly it allows you to learn. And then what the fit is and the, and the uh, overall complementary pieces are around you when you actually get on the field in the NFL. I think those are the two things that are really the equation of why or when you can have success in this league. Last one for me, Joel. Is it time to admit that the Scott Frost experiment in Lincoln is a failure? Boy, that, that was a atrocious performance. Um, atrocious. And they were the better team than Illinois. Um yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's headed that direction, and it's getting nasty up there, by the way, um, because I don't know if you read a couple of weeks ago, there was uh, some talk about the NCAA now looking into Nebraska, and there might have been some infractions with, with Frost. Well, now it's, it's starting to leak out that that may have been an inside job leaked to the NCAA from, you know, somewhere around the program so that if they need to get out from under that contract, they wouldn't have to pay the buyout. If they, if they can get some sort of sanctions, they can fire them for cause rather than without cause. So it's getting really bad up there um, moving forward, and I don't see a way out because that's the exact same style of game that we've seen them lose over and over again. Close game, so many you know shoot-yourself-in-the-foot moments in, in, that they can't get over. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, Nebraska. Well, this whole college landscape is a little bit different. Yeah, who do you, you, yeah, you got this weekend? I am currently sitting in Minnesota. I've got Ohio State, Minnesota uh, tomorrow night on Fox. And then on Saturday, 
I will head to Madison as Penn State and Wisconsin tangle. So we'll double dip this week, boys. Wow, don't. uh, That is cool. I wouldn't be able to do that. No. Especially college with all the all the players and stuff. I'd be talking about a Wisconsin oh, dude. dude while I'm calling a Ohio State <laughs> game. Yeah, I have Mike texting me going, "Dude, you're on the wrong team. We're on the wrong, wrong team. Wrong team. Wrong team. I, you got uh, the wrong board out. You got the wrong so board out." It's funny you say that. It's so funny you say that. I I I was working on both games yesterday, and I had a I had a dream. I literally had a, a nightmare that I was sitting in the booth tomorrow night at Minnesota. And I had put my Wisconsin Penn State chart in my bag. Oh. And I'm staring at it and I'm like, no! <laughs> I, I, I woke up and I was like, oh, I was kind of like sweating. It's I am, I am glad that we both have that same, uh, just that, that, that same paranoid kind of, uh, those paranoid dreams because I, uh, that's exactly what happens to me all the time. Uh, I have those same dreams. We, we assume, uh, CU will take care of Northern Colorado on Friday. Uh, so next week we'll get a little bit more into CU as they get ready to play, uh, Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher, uh, now being paid $9 million a year. Uh, more, more, more ammunition for the idea that maybe these college players ought to get paid a little bit more when you see the coaches making $9 million a year. Yes. Guys, and it's fully guaranteed. It's absurd. Unbelievable. $9 million for Jimbo Fisher. When's the last time he won a division championship at Texas A&M? I'll wait. All right. Thank you, Joel. Later. Joel Klatt. Oh, what a weekend, huh? Yeah. Ohio State, Minnesota, and then, was it Wisconsin and uh, Penn State, did he say? Uh, Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that is. That's boy, a good weekend. I tell you what, that's the that's a lot of exact prep, same, like the exact same freaking nightmares I have. Yeah. Show up somewhere you don't have anything or you haven't been prepared or you're looking at the wrong thing. Well, what? That, this is this game? Yeah. I thought it was this game. Yeah. Or your poor button is under your, extreme your duress. That's not going to happen. All right. We shall see. All right. Thank you to Joel. Coming up next, did Joel unwittingly make Mark's point? That's next. Nope. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.